I think you yourself, um, you know, while you're a nice guy, you know, you're full of sanctimony. Um, you know, you become part of one of the parts of the problem of the media. You know, you come on here and you and you have a. Um, um, uh, you know, a monopoly on truth, you know, you know exactly how things are supposed to be done. Um, you know, you are why one of the reasons people can't stand the media. I'm sorry. <laughs> Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. Good Tuesday to you all. That was, I think, uh, just a terrific takedown of Brian Stelter on his own show on CNN. We love to see it. It's pretty hilarious. You have Michael Wolf being like, you're not a solid journalist. You're garbage journalist. Yeah, from an absolute fabulous Michael Wolf (laughs) to say you are a garbage journalist. (laughs) So awesome. I mean, total fiction all around, but I, I... my favorite part about it was watching the potato have to like fully consume all of this on his own show. On his own show, <laughs> to camera, just stare ahead and sort of smirk as this guy just disassembles you <laughs> as a journalist. <laughs> and everyone saw it. It was all over Twitter. It was everyone trending all it. day. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> one of my favorite parts is the interview goes on and he's like, you know, Stelter's pushback is like, well, why if I'm so bad, why do you come on? And he kind of takes a step back and he's like, I'm a buck salesman. <laughs> it's like, it's, that's pretty honest. If I if I didn't have a book to sell, I would never come on this show. And he kind of says it with a shrug. He like, says it. He says it like it's like this is like a dental appointment. <laughs> <laughs> like a very much a Willie Loman esque answer, right? right? right. I'm like, a book salesman. I'm a book salesman, and this what you- is what we do. Right. <laughs> oh, well, we got a big show for you today. Uh, we have Senator Rick Scott, the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, who's going to break down the entire map and how Republicans get back to a majority. Excellent. We've got. Important economic news. You may have noticed and you may not want to log into your 401k here this morning as you're listening to this. Uh, the market's not psyched. Not, not psyched. And, and I like all the takes that are coming in. Like, I think Krugman tried saying, like, huh. this is fine. This is normal. Like, all these crazy statements have come out. Like, Biden was saying that, listen, folks, yes, we have inflation, but, you know, a few years from now, it's going to be okay. It's like, you're you're counting on having inflation going like this for a few years? For like, years. That's part of that's part of like the baseline of where we're going. And just to rewind the tape on it, it's it's the inflation plus we're paying people to not have a job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All of that's coming to an end. They basically have no economic answers whatsoever. People are trying to beg, borrow, and steal to get people to actually go to work. So all of the supply chains, whether they're foreign or domestic, have a huge problem, which is reflected in the market news. Yep. And, and it, all of this is of their own making. It's uh, it, Here's the situation is you've got, you know, as you discussed, a, a workforce that's being told not to work, right? And then uh, remember the the stories we were told, oh, now now the adults are in the room, the experts who are going to gonna trust the science and they're going to listen to the experts. Number one, he's not listening to the experts. 
because uh, he said it, the inflation is not that bad. Okay, dude, he he said no, no serious e- economist is is concerned about inflation. <laughs> And then Janet Yellen, who yeah, 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 like the chairman of the Fed, the chairman of the Fed is, is concerned about inflation. It's like, maybe you should listen to the experts in your own cabinet. Right. <laughs> he doesn't. They just don't know. He right? does not. And he has no idea. He's just a, totally asleep at the wheel. And the fact asleep may be kind. Right. To be honest, vacant. That might be a more on nose <laughs> point way to put it. But anyway, needless to say, we don't have a lot of faith in the economy. Uh as it is, but there are a couple other things we got to get to. Uh, the TikTok Texans. Boy, they they really are like the gift that just keeps on giving. I mean, these people are the worst. <laughs> like news breaks that like three of them have COVID, right? And, and then you, you saw the photos of them all on their private jet, <laughs> no masks. And reminder, folks, private jets are covered under those like federal rules that you have to wear a mask on a flight. So openly they're just flaunting that, hey, Rules apply to you, not to us. Oh, yeah. And now the count's up to five. It's like we have to keep hitting refresh. Like how many how many of these COVID dams have been unleashed in Washington? And the number keeps going up. And they they showed up thinking they're going to be like the biggest social media stars. They're like, I'm going to take a photo of my salad, <laughs> you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna wash my. They're clothes like, we're gonna and, nail this and, and take a picture of my clothes drying. <laughs> But the story is that they're all just catching COVID. Like these, again, th- these aren't folks crossing the Delaware with George Washington. Right. These are morons skipping out on their job, spreading COVID. <laughs> they they skipped their job, flew to Washington. All they got for, for it was coronavirus. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> seriously. And I got you news print, for you. You can print up some t-shirts, maybe. The, the private plane you came on was not exactly the Underground Railroad. Folks. Right. right. I mean, right. It, it, it was incredible that the moment that they landed, they just started screwing everything up and then could never put it back in the box. And they're still here. The, they're still here. The spiciest take I like is from Red Steez, where he was like, these people took a plane Aimed it at the Capitol, full of COVID. Oh, jeez. They're a bigger threat than 9-11. <laughs> oh, he's sort of throwing the January 6th yeah, yeah. thing back. It, it, I like that. It's, it's got to be thrown right back at him. Well, the important part, and here's a thing that I don't know, nobody's talking about, obviously, but there was a, a policy in place last year when Republicans had a majority in the Senate that required senators to quarantine every single time they came in contact with somebody who had po- tested positive, right? And it was a real challenge for McConnell and Senate Republicans because they only had, you know, just a very slim majority in order to get these things done. And so they, they basically had to lock up their own people. Well, the Texas Dems come to town. I'm pretty sure they had lunch with Senate Democrats. I think they had lunch with Senate Democrats. These people all tested positive. Now, they have a 50-50 majority, right? Right. Do you think that any of those Senate Democrats are going to pay attention to the rules about quarantining? Absolutely not. They got a big vote on Wednesday for their infrastructure bill. How many do you think are going to be missing? Wow. Kamala Kamala goes to Walter Reed for for, on for just a standard Sunday doctor appointment. Standard yeah, yeah, just Sunday. Just standard Sunday. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think they're going to follow the rules. I mean, it makes you wonder, right? <laughs> because the thing is is if they had to quarantine, they wouldn't I mean, they obviously get blown out of the vote. They're going to lose that vote no matter what, but but it's an interesting thing. Nobody's talking about. Very, very serious about enforcing those rules when Republicans had the majority, I might add. And, I mean, the, the, the like absolute hypocrisy of all this, like, uh, you know, 
we we used to hear about these super spreader events at the White House. You didn't hear that term used by the media once when these folks go and meet with Kamala, like exposed the administration to COVID, and their numbers keep climbing. Their it's, numbers keep climbing. So uh, clearly, they are like a super spreader. They're like a petri dish. These people just and, and now, <laughs> and now they're basically on vacation and have nothing to do except quarantine here in D.C. Yeah, why? Like, wh- go home. <laughs> Get back on that private jet and go home. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, fellas, we are less than 30 days away from our very first Ruthless Live event at the State Fair in Iowa. Yes. Let's go. I mean, I'm incredibly excited. We keep, uh, we're going to have an insane lineup of guests. I don't want to spoil it right now. Nuts. But it's, it's. A hell of a lineup. Well, needless to say, we've been greeted with open arms. Open the, arms. The good people of Iowa. We appreciate their hospitality, and we're looking forward to it. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna richly reward them. I, I'll be honest. I'm gonna bring such high energy. I mean, it's gonna be through the roof, through the roof. How about you, Smug? Are you gonna bring high energy? I mean, you know it. I, I, like looking. I wish I could tell the people the lineup we already have. I wish I could tell the folks the lineup we already had. It's incredible. Incredible. I just want you to make sure you're personally prepared. 100%. I just want to make sure. I mean, who knows if I even want to come back. It's sounding like it's going to be pretty amazing. Okay. Okay. Sometimes I got to keep an eye on your energy, though. <laughs> make sure. Duncan knows what I'm talking about. Oh, I'm, I'm going to come in hot. Oh, no, I'm not worried about you. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm afraid. I'm actually afraid you might over-index <clears throat> on the other side. It's possible. You know, but you are a Midwesterner, so you know that you're not like, you know, you're not going to offend no, I'm with my people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So a couple of weeks ago, we asked people to uh, provide their reviews on the program uh, to give us their five star if they're so inclined, but also to ask questions and, you know, we'll read them on the show. Uh, I had to pick this one because I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, <laughs> this guy, Josh sent in, I guess, a couple of days ago, was reacting, I think, smug primarily to your critique that, uh, you know, we were talking about Bezos going to space, mm-hmm. and we were talking about, what's his name, the Virgin... Uh, Galactic dude. guy, Branson. Yeah. yeah, Branson going to space. And your take, which I thought was a well-informed one, was that he didn't quite make it to space. Yeah, yeah. Fake space, I think you called it. Absolutely. Josh has a problem with that. Yeah. You want to read this or should I read this? Well, I don't need to read the whole thing. The point is, is that perhaps, he says, perhaps most egregiously, Smug made reference to the Carmen line, a total arbitrary boundary of 100 kilometers, which is an international definition of space. The American good definition of space is 50 miles, which he's, of course, exceeded. I, I, I have to point out that after international, in parentheses, he wrote commie yeah, right. definition. Which I, he's persuaded me so far. He's persuaded me so far. So, and then he says the U.S. considers someone an astronaut if they travel above 50 miles, whether they enter orbit or not. Anyone who says Branson didn't go to real space basically hates America, and I demand an immediate retraction. Well, f- first of all, I want to say I didn't know Neil deGrasse Tyson listened to our podcast here. I mean, this guy's like an like an astrophysicist here. You know, we got Gus Grissom coming yeah. on live. But he's taking he's taking shots at you. What do you have a rejoinder here? Here's the thing. In, the, in his first paragraph, he points out that uh, you know, it, uh, blah, 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 at a very high velocity. In reality, the reason you feel weightlessness in orbit is because the spacecraft is in free fall, exactly like Spaceship Two or New Shepard capsule 
Weightlessness isn't a result of altitude. There's not a line where gravity is just switched off and you suddenly become weightless. That's what I said. <laughs> the, the the plane on the way down is no, why I think you're with weightlessness. I, th- I think you're I think you're you're copacetic here on the weightlessness gravity issue. I think I think that he's talking about fake space. They got to get further out. This was fake space. Okay. They got to get out so far that the weightlessness is is from floating around in outer space. In orbit. Like at least in orbit I outside. Beyond. I say beyond. You got to get up there. You got to get into real space. If you're paying money to, to be in space, you, you should get space. Like you got to go to the moon. Yeah. It's it's like you show up to a bar and you say, hey, I want a shot of bourbon. And the guy's like, okay, here's a beer. Uh, that's not it, buddy. <laughs> that's not it, buddy. That's it. Ball's in your court, Josh. Swug's got you back. All right, so let's get into the stuff here. I, you guys been paying any attention? I'm a, I'm into the Olympics in a major way, but I'm having a tough time getting into it because the rest of the world basically sucks and can't figure out how to vaccinate or anything else, and they're still dealing with COVID Delta Plus and everything else. But the one thing that it really caught my eye was these beds. Did you guys see this? Yes. Yeah. The so 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 the cardboard beds, right? Yeah, cardboard beds. So there's always been the Olympic Village. There's always been a lot of rumor about what goes on in the Olympics. It's it's known as being this like incredibly lecherous hotbed of just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like what the villages are to old people, like it, is the Olympic villages to the young athlete. Wow. So I heard a story. Uh, this is an actual fact that at the Olympics in Rio, what was that like two two three years ago, something like that? Uh, they handed out four hundred fifty thousand condoms. <laughs> I saw the that. Athletes. I saw that. Well, they're distributing that again. They are doing that. But there has been a an allegation that they are trying, because of the COVID concerns, that they're trying to dissuade this by setting people up on cardboard beds that were allegedly designed to collapse under the weight of fornicators. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is just like, this is a total engineering thing. Because, like, you tell the engineer the problem, they're like, make sure people can't have sex on the bed. <laughs> and the engineer's is like, okay, I will make a cardboard bed. Like, like someone's going to let a cardboard bed stop them, right? <laughs> Let's be yes, serious. Yes, no one's ever had sex outside of a bed before. Yeah. Well, and I will say they're athletes, right? Right. So they're like, physical ingenuity probably exceeds your average American. They're in the top health form of their lives. I don't think that's going to let a little cardboard set aside their ambition here. Right. If that's where this thing goes, right? Of course, I don't know. I'm not an Olympic athlete, but it's worth keeping an eye on. And, right? uh, I saw an Olympic uh, one of the Olympians posted a video uh, saying that apparently the cardboard bed, like you know, not being able to withstand anything is fake news. He wow. put a video up of him standing on the bed and jumping up and down as hard as he could, and, and it still was fine. Was he like a jockey or something, or was he a no, real? No, no, no. I think I think he was like a you know one of the. Uh, you know, gymnastics guys. Oh, really? So yeah. he was actually could have, should have yeah, collapsed the box. It, it if absolutely that's, should have. Huh. Interesting. Well, look, I, I'm concerned about, I also saw that one of our sort of anonymously, one of our gymnasts may have contracted COVID. That's right. I will say, let me just say this for the record. If somehow Simone Biles gets COVID and is disqualified from this Olympics, that is an act of war. Boycott. 100%. We must protect her. That is an act of war. I mean, this Olympics is going to be a disaster. It's going to be a complete disaster. 
I'm, it should serve as a reminder to everybody who lives in this country. Like, look, they're about to hold an Olympic Games in Japan with like absolutely no crowds, no spectators. And uh, you, you see multiple athletes at this point have been disqualified because they got a positive test for COVID. I mean, this is going to be such a, I, I feel bad for that country. They were counting on so much tourism. They like delayed it by a year, hoping that, you know, COVID would be over. I mean, it's too bad they didn't have Donald Trump as president or else they would have had, you know, Operation Warp I mean, Speed. True. Yeah. It, it's true. Well, it's we had, and we had And we had the Open, uh, the British Open, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last weekend and and Matsuyama didn't play and Bubba Watson didn't play because of you know the COVID protocols that were going on over there so I mean it's it's not just the Olympics it's everything it's everything if you travel outside of our borders you know meanwhile you've got concerts of 60,000 plus people going on here like they were pre-pandemic you've got sports venues that are full and and you know full like NBA finals is going on we had the you know, we had the the Stanley Cup. I mean, everything's basically back to normal in America. These these guys are like, not happening, not happening. Anyway. I mean, I, honestly, my theory is you're gonna see the Dems make a push, especially starting in the fall, to bring back lockdowns. You see them being like, you got to bring back masks. One of well, they're uh, doing it already. Th- there was a, there was a, someone put out the statement saying that like. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was if it was uh, like a federal authority or some doctor or something who said that like children ages two and up Ugh. should be mandated to wear masks in school. Insane. It's bad news. It's insane, but it's actually the perfect segue to our next topic, which is that L.A. is bringing back indoor masks. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. And I said this on Twitter. I got a little bit of blowback, but I, I from our California minions. But it's true. Like, do you want me to be concerned about that? When you vote for communists for the last 25 years, what do you expect? You're going to get communist policy. Here you go. Well, you know, guess what? The state demands that you put a mask on, stand on your head, and send him a check. It's like back to when, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom ordered even outdoor dining clothes, just killing the restaurant industry, being like, even outdoor dining, yeah. not allowed. Right. It didn't stop him to go from going to French Laundry, but... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean... This is this. I really think this is going to become a big damn thing. Is they're going to try going right back, right back into shutdowns? I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Well, it, it, you can tell by the way. I, I always can tell after years of doing this, a democratic agenda by how it's framed in the in the media, right? Because the media takes a look at your average dem flack and they're like, yeah, it's. I know what you're trying to do, but let me improve upon it. Yeah. Right. They always soften the edge, like sand the edges of a democratic argument and try to make make it for them. And if you look at what they're talking about now with the Delta Comfort Plus uh, variety, um, you can go 17 paragraphs before you get to the actual paragraph that describes that if you've been vaccinated, it has no impact on you. Right? I mean, the headline is all about the spike, all about the grave danger, how about how it's more contagious, how it's more deadly, how it has all of these huge problems. And then the seventeenth paragraph is like, uh, and if you're vaccinated, it doesn't matter. And one one of the Texas Dems actually kind of like, uh, you know, tripped up on their own messaging when he put out, you know, he was trying to make it sound like, oh, they're all innocent. How could they know this happened? He was like, listen, we'd, we'd been uh, uh, vaccinated, so you know, they were only having a couple sniffles <laughs> with, from the Delta variant, so we didn't know until they got tested. It's like, okay, okay, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. This this is like. In the media, if you read these reports, it's like, my God, the Delta variant 
is just it's a death sentence. And they've changed they've changed the narrative entirely. If you recall, if you want to go back in the time machine and and put yourself in a time and place in March and April of 2020, it was all about flattening the curve. If you remember all the scientists they talked to us about we need to quarantine, we need to shut things down, we need people in masks and to stay at home because the hospitals can't take the numbers yeah. of a massive influx, right? They Even at the time, they said, look, there's a number, large portion, perhaps the majority of the population that may not be symptomatic, but because of the number of people who are elderly and, and otherwise infirm, we have to actually shut everything down because those people alone are enough to, to overwhelm the hospital system. Nobody's talking about that now, Yeah, right? There, we've already got, what, 70% or so of people vaccinated. You have all the people who've been infected by COVID. We are far past herd immunity in, in a lot of places in this country, but nobody's talking about the simple principle of why you went into quarantine and masks to begin with. It had nothing to do with getting the sniffles. Right. It, it's no longer now about flattening the curve. It's really clear. Like the Dems see this as a complete opportunity for control and like a backdoor for them to pass like Green New Deal. You know, they just want everyone basically living at their whim and 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 they're going to they're going to do whatever they can. It's gone from flattening the curve to zero cases in all of America. Dude, until we still that so, day. So we've had 35 million confirmed cases of coronavirus. Right. 80% of coronavirus cases are asymptomatic. Right. That wouldn't be picked up. So at that point, you're, you're at like 130, 140 million people who've actually already been exposed to this virus. And then on top of that, 70% of the country is vaccinated. That's right. So there's people with immunity who maybe aren't vaccinated. There's people with immunity who already had natural immunity that are vaccinated. What I'm saying is like the doom and gloom of our media that is desperate for clicks in an age after Donald Trump has to hide the ball on all of that and make you, you know, scared to go outside your house. And that's what they're doing, right? I mean, the stat is 89% of Americans age 65 plus are at least partly vaccinated. That's yeah. almost 90%. Wow. I mean, those are the people we got to be concerned about. I, I, I saw somebody on Twitter talking about this, this, this data out of Israel about you know, breakthrough cases, people who had had the Pfizer vaccine and, and, and still got COVID. They're like 60% of the, the cases, right. the serious cases uh, are people who, who had the vaccine. That 60% is based off a total number of serious cases, 58. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. So you're talking like 35 cases or something like that, right? And, and, and these people want to determine public policy decisions that will impact millions of people yeah well make no mistake they're not lining it up yet because they're talking about infrastructure and a, a different way to spend 3.5 trillion dollars you know to try to jam down right. your throat and, and ruin your economy but make no mistake they're going to come back to the well again on all of this right and, and i mean also it's going to be just like last year when it when when you get into fall when it starts getting cold it's it's people gathering indoors that's right that's just that's just what happens you know, like your family members, like Thanksgiving, you know, just same as last year. But the thing to keep in mind is, like we said earlier, that it, we were told this was about flattening the curve, not zero cases. And the vaccine is so widely available. Multiple vaccines, you know, Operation War Speed, you know, thanks Donald Trump. Like the vaccine is widely available. At this point, the only people who aren't 
vaccinated are unvaccinated by choice. That's it. You know, and there's, there's, you know, if you're unvaccinated, they've decided to accept the risks. And why should the entire country go back into like a lockdown masking situation when, when we've already seen that if you're vaccinated, the Delta variant, I mean, the, the Texas Dems are a perfect example. They're like, it was sniffles. I mean, sniffles. Right. They, they want to shut everything down again. They want to destroy for whatever sniffles. S- small businesses have survived for sniffles. And and Texas itself is doing a hell of a lot better than Texas Dems, I might add. Yeah. They, their, their COVID numbers have been extraordinary. <laughs> in fact, I feel like the spike was probably due to the crew that hit the plane and landed at <laughs> Dulles. Well, and, and, Dulles. And back to your point, Smug, it's like the, the vaccine is... And nobody is confused about how to get the vaccine. I mean, I got the vaccine like three, four months ago. Right. You know what I mean? Like everybody knows that the vaccine is out there and and you can get it. Right. You know, it's not like we don't have uh, the ability to find and and get this vaccine. There's actually actually three of them. The rest of the world would love to be in our position. Right. You know, but if you listen to our media, the sky's falling always. Totally. Totally. And chances are, if you've chosen not to get it, it's because you have good reason to. And, you know, like the variety program is going to respect your decision either way. That is not the case for your government. <laughs> and again, I think it, it it bears touching on the fact of the amount of science deniers <laughs> that the Dems like you look back and Kamala Harris said she wouldn't trust a Trump vaccine. You know, like the, the there's this I found this tweet from the Daily Coast pointing out that they even said neither should anyone else these are these are these are media companies right oh, yeah. it's a left wing media company but th- during trump they were saying oh wow i can't believe uh you know he, this vaccine there's no way it can be done so fast this has to be a total political move i don't trust it it's dangerous yeah they could the the, the buzz phrase was donald trump's rushed vaccine oh yeah that's yeah. right that's what they all said in the fall last year yeah, except for the fact that uh, all of them were probably in the front of the line making up pre-existing conditions for themselves, yeah, for them totally, and their families, totally. so they, right. could, they could get to the front of the line, take the vaccine, triple mask, and hide in their basement. Right. Which, don't again, don't tell them. And, and, now, and now they want to blame Republicans and Facebook and Fox News for missing their own vaccine goals. The Biden administration is, is scapegoating everybody. Oh, I know. That's the, my favorite part. Right. It's like somehow Fox News's fault that they can't get vaccines distributed to the president's mark. I mean, it's just it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a perfect segue to what we're going to talk next. The, yeah. the whole Facebook situation, which is incredible because Biden, Biden, uh, a reporter asked him, what's your message to platforms like Facebook? And Biden says they're killing people. Yeah. They're killing people. So we've been kind of waiting to load up on this for a long time because we knew this was coming. And. We have strong takes in the Variety program. They might be a little counterintuitive. They are certainly not uh, shallow. These are deep opinions. Some of us do this for a living. We have some thoughts. My first reaction, you have Jen Psaki, press secretary for the president, standing behind the podium saying, in a sense, that the government of the United States is flagging for Facebook information that they deem to be misinformation that they hope Facebook will work in cooperation with them to take down. Right. Yeah. These are the same people who said Hunter Biden's laptop was misinformation. Yep. These are the same people who said that the lab leak was a conspiracy theory. Are they banned from social media? Uh, They are the ones that spent four years telling us the Russia hoax was real. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the thing is like all there's so many cases of misinformation. Like we went back and Kamal Harris being like, I don't trust this vaccine that now now that they're in, in, in power, they're trying to have a clamp down on anyone who disagrees. And remember how like you heard all these stories are like, oh, my gosh, Trump's a dictator. Trump's authoritarian. Imagine if he said that if if, if if we don't agree with something on Facebook, we're flagging it for them to take it down. Yeah. So, I mean, look, all of this is bullshit. Right. Yeah. Let me just frame it. And then I want Duncan to just like weigh in with both feet because he does this for a living. Um, the reason that you see so much hostility from the left to places like Facebook is because it's the only place on planet Earth that they haven't figured out how to entirely. And I don't mean 80 percent, 90 percent. I mean, 100 percent. The only place that they haven't figured out how to control the distribution of information. Yep. Whether it is entertainment, higher education, corporate America, newspapers, cable television other than Fox, it every single distribution network of any kind of information in this country is entirely controlled by the liberal left except social media. Yes. Right? So the reason that they are so angry about this is because it is a threat to their business model. They know nobody will buy yep what it is that they're selling. They know that. They, they, they know that America is not interested in becoming a Marxist socialist country. They know that. But if you can, for a period of time, control everything from the curriculum in your schools to the information you hear on the news to the higher education that you learn about the failures of our founding fathers, ultimately to the entertainment industry and all of the news and circulation, they think there is a chance you can be brainwashed to the point where you just blindly elect Democrats. And Facebook fucked that up for them. That's a good, So, like, uh, you saw people the other day, uh, liberal journalists, essentially, flipping out, being like, Ben Shapiro, uh, his articles on Facebook perform better than, like, the New York Times. And they're like, this is a problem. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for our listeners, there was this big story in NPR on Monday— uh, about how, you know, Ben Shapiro is the king of Facebook and what a terrible thing that is. Um, and I think it what it, do, what it does is it reveals a little bit of what, what Holmes was saying here earlier, is that this isn't actually a principle. It's about market share, right? Because what happens is all of these legacy media publications have to spend money on social media platforms like Facebook to get referral links back to their website, clicks, you know, from posting their articles. And that that traffic is their lifeblood. That's, that's how they make money. That's how they sell advertising. So what they want to do is work the refs and get Facebook to rig the game for them, so that their um, their content is shown distributed more frequently than say the Daily Wire or Ruthless, for example. And they want it, by the way, just because they're them. Because they're them. It's not because there's any content that's any more worthwhile or not worthwhile. They're like, what the hell? We're the New York Times. Well, here's the thing. It really is It, it is not about principle at all. You, there was this post um, about uh, from Comscore. These are the latest uh, website traffic figures. CNN down 20.1% uh, year over year. Uh, Vox Media down 16 0.1%. Are these clicks or viewership or this is site traffic? Oh, this is so this is online traffic. Yes, this is worse. their lifeblood. 
New York Times down 33.9%. Wow. The Washington Post down 27.5%. Are you starting to get it? Yeah. You're starting to understand why they're attacking social media? This is it. It's, right. And it's the same thing on TV. Like their numbers for the numbers for uh, CNN and MSNBC have gone to hell. So what are they doing? They're attacking Fox News. They just they want to just get rid of their competitors because the, People don't want their garbage. They want people to be forced to see their garbage. And this is, but this takes a little bit of nuance and thought, right? Because look, I'm as irritated as the next person at the ban on Donald Trump from Facebook and Twitter and everything else. It's insane. I think when they get into content moderation, it's a huge mistake. I said at the time, I knew this was going to be the slippery slope. That's where we've landed. It's problematic. You should not let that blind you from the ultimate war over what social media is about here. Yeah, right. The real war is between tech and media for market share. That's That's, what it is. It's as simple as that. They don't give a shit about Russian disinformation or COVID vaccine disinformation. All they want is to pressure Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey to show more links to Washington Post and CNN.com. It is as simple as that. They want a monopoly over social media, like the monopoly they have on higher education and Hollywood and corporate America and corporate media. And that's the business case. There's also the narrative. Right. Right? Which is where the Democratic Party, liberal progressives, coastal elites, corporate America, higher education all come together because they produce the media elite. These are the one and the yeah, same. Yeah. And these are the people who then decide what to disseminate. Yes. Right? These are the people who decided for four years a Russian disinformation campaign was at the center of what America needed to talk about in its new president of the United States. These people decided that. Right. They And they implemented it. Mm-hmm. Without access to social media, without access... Let me just say this. The Hunter Biden thing, as much as they shut that down, and they did, travesty. We still wouldn't have heard about it at all if it wasn't for social media. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the thing. It, it cuts both ways. And, and and that's the most important thing to remember, I think, is you got to take a long view of this. And of course, guys, I mean, I do this for a living. I'm a digital media consultant, right? Um, so I, I, I'm on these platforms all day, spending money for clients all day. I've worked um, with Facebook and Twitter and all these folks and reps there all day. So I am 100% biased. I think the internet's great. Yeah, and I'll say from my standpoint too. I mean, full disclosure, I work with coalitions that are that are take this point of view that I'm taking. I I think it's really important. I think this is one of the information flow fights of our life, dude. It, it absolutely, it. and and not just information. If you are a Republican campaign, you probably raise twenty five percent of your small dollar money on Facebook and Google search. Like twenty five percent of your all of your fundraising will happen on those platforms. Facebook is the best direct, what we call direct response platform on the internet. If you're trying to get somebody to donate, if you're trying to get somebody to subscribe, if you're trying to get somebody to look up their poll location, go vote. You know where you do that? On Facebook. If you're a Republican. Right. If you're a Democrat, you get it on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and every single one of your daily publications. They want to mediate our entire political discourse and conversation. And social media is our only way around it. Anybody ever wonder why, and I believe me, I don't blame you that if people have never watched this ever, but every Democratic campaign for Senate 
or a significant congressional race rolls their campaign out on Morning Joe. Yep. And they give their website about 13 times. Yeah. Right? And they know because their audience will immediately go to start donating, and that's how they, they cultivate this, right? Republicans don't have that. Fox has some integrity. They actually don't do that. They will not do that. There is no show on Fox that actively promotes fundraising for Republican candidates. There just there just isn't. The only place the Republicans have been able to gather to do that is Facebook. Right. Right. Yeah. There's text messages, there's email, and there's Facebook. I mean, that's how we raise all of our small dollar money. And here's the thing. That's kind of a good thing. Yeah. Right? Trying to get our campaigns to be grassroots Less funded corporate. from a, from a, from the ground up. That's great. Yeah. What makes what makes all of this particularly pernicious. And this is where I want to take it full circle back to the Saki comment about how they're flagging things that they see as disinformation and hoping that Facebook will do something about it. Is that they're also simultaneously holding out antitrust action against these companies. Yeah. Right? So it's like we have some ideas of what ought to show up on your website. Oh, yeah, no, no, by the way, all of the people that we got confirmed through the Senate who have jurisdiction of oversight over your companies all want to break you into a million pieces. <laughs> it's unreal. It's a, it's like, a, you know, a racket. That's what it is. It's extortion. It's a shakedown. It's a full shakedown. But see it for what it is, right? Again, I'm as mad as everybody else is about the idea that they can take somebody off the platform like they did the former president of the United States. That's that's not good. and I But I, I feel like they backed him into that because they're doing what they're doing. And they're trying to take the next step by now basically showing up at the front door saying, you got a real nice house. Right. It's an extortion racket. Yeah. That's what it is. It, that's what And it's it because is. Ben Shapiro's number one on Facebook. It's because Republicans succeed on Facebook. It's because we raise money on Facebook. And the media's market share is going down, down, down. That's right. That's right. So see it for what it is, right? We're gonna, I think we should do more of these because there is more that meets the eye in the discussion. And you hear the outrages from both sides that sort of, I think, cloud the reality, which is very much a media versus social media campaign. But really the whole thing is just about narrative setting. Whether the liberal, democratic, elitist, coastal people in this country have a monopoly on what information you should see and hear. That's exactly right. I mean, we really should go more into this because it's, I mean, it's something that really grinds my gears. Dude, I mean, I could, I could talk about it for 10 years. I could go all the way back to the, you know, uh, you know, Russia hijacked the election by buying some Facebook ads and, and tell you in Cambridge Analytica and we could go into all oh, it's that all bullshit. stuff. I mean, Complete bullshit. Maybe we should hit it for a second. I mean, the thing is, is that in 2012, when the Obama campaign was doing all of this stuff, remember they were talking about how they, they targeted a little, oh, yeah. little segment in Jacksonville? Like, oh, because these it, are geniuses. Yeah, right, because they, they thought all of these things are so smart, and oh my gosh, they're so brilliant. And then as soon as the Trump campaign did it in 2016, it's like, shut down Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> shut down the whole thing. Like, yeah. Shut down the whole thing. I mean, they damn near broke the internet because they had a shitty candidate. Yeah, because Hillary Clinton lost an election. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that but that's that's the continued effort. And and what people are doing by trying to perpetuate this absolute myth 
about what's going on here is to surf the wave of injustice, which there clearly is in terms of like censoring stories and stuff like that, to convince you to censor more, right? To censor more, to make sure ultimately where this lands is that Jen Psaki dictates off the White House podium what it is that you ought to learn on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, you, you, you want a really interesting thought experiment. I'll give you a little homework. Go and look up uh, the book uh, Victory Lab by Sasha yes. Eisenberg, Good Good which was, what was written after the Obama campaign, and how they describe what they did on social media and how innovative it was. <laughs> and then try to imagine the words Donald Trump written in there and how, how the reaction would be. And the best part, so I, I know a couple of, of employees who at the time worked in the sort of the campaign side of Facebook, and their job was to try to educate campaigns on how to use it, both sides. They had a Republican team and a Democratic team. And the Democratic team was hailed as like these heroes. Gurus. Right? Just absolutely brilliant. And then in 2016, the Republican team was like traitors to their country. Yeah. They couldn't get a job in, in tech again. Because one of, everybody one, shut him down. One of the incredible fake news things that sort of lingered out there for a while is that, oh, the Facebook team was embedded. Embedded. Oh, yeah, that's They were embedded one. in the Donald Trump campaign. And it's like, these people are salespeople. It's like, <laughs> yeah. this is something they offer every national political campaign. We will help you use our platform, utilize it in every way possible. Which, by the way, TV has done for years. And they offered it to Hillary Clinton's campaign. And they said, no, we're good. They weren't good, folks. They weren't good. They weren't good at anything. But but look, this is going to be a long-lasting discussion. There are merits to the discussion about the power of social media, and there are concerns that people should express about you know what all this means in terms of our information flow. But do not get suckered into believing that this is is simply a like conservative fight against tech and social media, because ultimately, where it ends. Where it ends is you watching ABC, CBS, and NBC and having higher education dictate to you exactly what it is that you ought to think. Right. Bingo. Uh, all right. We got a big interview, guys. We got a big interview. This guy is, um, took the reins of the National Republican Senatorial Committee in January. Um, and I asked him about this. You know, immediately the media seized upon him because he was. He objected to one of the one of the uh, I think Pennsylvania one of the the campaign or one of the election results, and immediately the media said like he'll never be able to raise any money. Corporate America's going to abandon Republicans. It's not going to be a thing, right? Uh, he set records every month since. Perfect. So here he is, NRSC Chairman Rick Scott. I want to welcome to the program a a very good man, a man who's got a big job this cycle, the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Senator Rick Scott, welcome. It's great to be with you. Now, <laughs> the test is going to be, we got to win, right? That's right. It's not enough to <laughs> have a, It's job. a nice title, but winning is more, more important right now. No, no, that's, that's right. Well, that's why we're happy you're there, because there's hardly anybody I know who's more competitive than, uh, than you are, and we're going to need it. Um, historically speaking, you know, should be a good, a good cycle, given the fact that Democrats have unified control their first midterm, I think only twice in 100 years is another ever gone the other way on us, but that's not a, 
not a guarantee, right? That's all real. We, we still have to raise the money and find good cans and run races, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. And I remember, you know, in the first month that you took over the reins at the NRSC, there was story after story about, oh, you know, the senatorial committee is not going to be able to raise any money. Corporate America is, has bailed out of uh, on Republicans. What's Rick Scott going to do? And then basically everything you've done since is break records every month. So we did. So we raised $51.2 million our first six months. I think it was over 600,000 individual donations. We half our money now, almost half is online, digital, you know, email and text. Yeah, I think, I think people are interested in, in getting the Republican majority back in the Senate. What do you think? <laughs> it turns out that the bunch of journos in New York and, and D.C. don't have the finger on the pulse of the American <laughs> electorate. <laughs> They're not even close. You know, we did, we did a, um, a battleground poll of just 26 states. I think it was about oh, it's a half, month and a half ago. In a generic ballot in the battleground states, we're winning. I think we're winning by five or six points just in a generic ballot. So it just comes down to raise our money, get good candidates, you know, get through our primaries. We have good candidates out of the primaries and then run good races and we're going to win. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Well, I want to get into this a little bit. This is going to be our, our first 2022 preview. I hope we can do it more than once, but I, I feel like there's a complicated cycle in a lot of ways because you've got some opportunities on the Democratic side. We've got a couple of seats that we obviously got to play defense on, but there's a whole bunch of different scenarios that can play out here. And, and one of the things I wanted to do, get your thoughts on first, is the offensive posture. Democrat, the media basically never talks about this, but the reality is New Hampshire, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, other blue states in terms of Democrats, they have a real liability on their hands. Well, first off, Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, they're all our friends in this, in this, in this endeavor. I mean, what they're doing is, is, is crazy. I mean, checks to illegal immigrants, checks to, to felons. I mean, the guy that shot the, the 17 people at Parkland School got a check. I mean, come on. I mean, they're spending this to oblivion. They have an open border. They, they, they're not showing up against Cuba, Iran, you know, anybody. I mean, so, I mean, they're, they're helping this. But here's what we, here's, we got, you know, everybody's sort of waiting in Georgia for what's Herschel Walker going to do. But I think we're going to end up with a good candidate there. If we do, Raphael Warnick is not uh, Georgia. I mean, Georgia's not a blue state. Georgia's not a Marxist state. That's where Warnick is, right? right. And Kelly, uh, you know, when he ran against McSally, he acts like he's this moderate. No, he votes 100% of the time with Chuck Schumer. So if you believe Chuck Schumer fits into the Arizona politics, then you have to believe the Democrats are going to win. I don't yeah. think he does. And Mark and so, Kelly makes Kirsten Cinema look like Ted Cruz. Right. And so <laughs> and we've got, we've got uh, quite a few good people running. So I think we're going to have uh, we're going to end up with a good candidate. I think there's always still a chance Doug Ducey's going to run. We'll see what happens there. In Nevada, we have two people in. It looks like uh, Laxout might be getting in, so we're going to have some good candidates there. Cortez Master only won four years ago by 2%. two uh, percent. Right. And then up in uh, up in New Hampshire, Hassam is underwater, I think, on our fave unfave without a race. Yeah. Um, and if and if Chris Sununu gets in, a very popular governor who's done a great job, I served with him when I was governor. Uh, I think we're going to win there. And there's other states. I mean, because the Biden agenda, the Schumer, Biden, Pelosi, it's not popular. Right. I mean, open borders, closed schools. I mean, none of this stuff is what people want in this country. So we just got to raise our money, good candidates, run good races. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's, raises a good point, actually. You have a, a relationship with a lot of these people because of your time as governor of Florida. 
Chris Sununu, a lot of people who listen to this program, very interested in getting him into that center. What a good guy. What a great guy. If he's, a really, any, he's a really good guy. He is. Uh, he would be a good U.S. senator. He's been a good governor. Uh, he's only served with him for two years, but you know he's done a good job in New Hampshire, and I think I mean, he'd be a good U.S. senator, and I think he'll have a big win. Any chance we can talk Larry Hogan into taking it on in Maryland? I don't know. I think there's a chance. I mean, um, he hasn't said he's not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, Larry, Larry's a very successful Republican governor in a blue state. So it's nice to, it's nice to see, uh, they, you know, both of them got elected while I was at the uh, Republican governor's association. And, uh, so they've done a good job in their States. And so, yeah, I think we have a shot. I, and I think we have a shot with Doug Ducey. I think there's a chance he'll run very popular governor. I think he won by 15 points, uh, two years ago. So I mean, I think we've got a lot of good, good opportunities and and there'll be others besides those four because the biden agenda i mean a lot of it is it it really just comes down the biden agenda is unpopular so we gotta hit we have to have a candidate that is is very good and then they have to raise their money we're going to do everything we can to help them um we're building up a big online donor base that we will be able to help um share those donors with all republican uh our existing republic uh, incumbents that which we're supporting and people that get through the primary in the open primary. Yeah, yeah, no question. Well, look, it's been an impressive effort thus far. Let's, let's talk a little bit about some of these red states that are the difficult variety that we're going to need to defend. We've, we've interviewed, actually, I think two or three now candidates in Pennsylvania uh, who are vying to replace uh, Pat Toomey there, which is no easy task, as you know, Pennsylvania, difficult place. But it seems to me, based on our conversations, we already have at least two or three candidates look like they're they're pretty battle tested what's your sense of pennsylvania yeah i think i think first off if you look down ticket um you know we lost the presidency in uh, 20 but down ticket republicans did well they've got a a good state party structure um their state party chair seems to be very good uh there so i think they're i think they're organized we've got some good candidates running and i i think we're gonna i think we're gonna do really well there um the i mean i we're not going to get involved as you know in the primaries uh, but we have good, we have, we have good options there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the other one we're looking at, obviously North Carolina, same circumstance, uh, replacing retiring Senator Burr, uh, going to be a wide open primary. Uh, the president, former president Trump has made an endorsement of Ted Budd. Uh, it looks to me again, like it's a place where you have two or three really viable candidates. Yeah. You, you're feeling okay about North Carolina at this point. Yeah, I mean, as you know, you're right. Uh, the president endorsed Bud. Um, and then uh, I served with Pat McCurry as governor. That's right. Uh, he was a, he was a successful governor, and he's um, since then he's had a good uh, talk show. So I think it's going to be interesting primary. Uh, and then we got Walker in the race. Uh, so we've got three three good candidates, and it's and it should be we should win in North Carolina. If if you look at the Biden agenda, if you look at um, <clears throat> the interest on our side, we should win in North Carolina. We should win in Pennsylvania. So I think we got to if. It's our fault that we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, North Carolina and actually your home state of Florida has fallen into this category the last few elections too. But I always laugh in that North Carolina in recent history, it's been the place where Democrats go to dump a hundred million bucks, right? And come out with an L. I'm certainly hoping that history repeats itself there. Oh, I mean, look at South Carolina last race. What, yeah. what did uh, Harrison spend 130? Yeah. I mean, he raised all the money online, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what I t- I'll tell you what's changing now is we are actually really doing a good job of raising money online. And guys like Tim Scott, John Kennedy, Marco Rubio, others like that 
are doing a good job of raising money online. And then, I mean, we're raising over $4 million a month just online. We're making big investments this month. We made a big investment last month to expand our donor base. We added in the first six months, 64,000 new and had not given money to the NRC before. That's great. That's yeah. really great. That's early on. Share. And Josh, we'll keep, we can share those with all of our candidates. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's what's great about what we're doing. Well, it, it, it is certainly a testimony to what you're doing that it's happening this early in the cycle. I mean, you have people after a tough election usually have a, a political hangover for a little while before they re-engage. But thus far, it looks like people are ready. Oh, no, I think, well, first off, we, you know, we took over January 11th. Um, you know, Jackie Zekman is the executive director. She's working hard. She, they put together a really good team here. Um, on the finance side, Jenny Drucker, but we brought in people like Matt Moon. They came from the business roundtable. We got a great uh, team here led by Chris Hartline. That's, that's what we're doing is we're defining the Democrats every day. If they wake up, they do anything on the Senate floor, we're going to do everything we can in English and Spanish to make sure in their home markets, everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. So that's what Chris, that's what Chris Hartline's team is uh, doing. So we have a great, uh, great group of people uh, doing that. And then we have, we've got this great online group and those online donors, they're also going to be voters and they're also going to be volunteers. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. I got a couple more States. I want to whiz through your home state of Florida. I can't imagine Marco gets in any trouble there. He's, he's already off to a great start. What's your sense in Florida? Yeah. Marco's doing a good job. He's, he's working hard. He's raising his money. He's getting around the state. Um, so in Val Demings, Val Demings voted hundred percent of the time with, with uh, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, nobody, Nancy Pelosi is not getting elected in Florida. Right. And so all we're going to do is make sure everybody knows that, that if you vote for Val Demings, you're voting for Nancy Pelosi. And that's not, so straight um, I think, here. I think Marco's going to do fine. We got Missouri. We get, we're going to, we've got at least what, three people in the primary so far, right. uh, four people. Um, and uh, so I think we're going to end up with a good candidate there. Alabama, you know, Trump endorsed Mo Brooks, but we also have Katie Britt and uh, Linda Blanchard in that race. And if you look at uh, uh, everybody's raising money. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. What are, what are uh, you going to do? So obviously you're not going to get involved in primaries. Ohio is the one state that always I get oh out of here because it's like, it's like every, everybody and their mom is running for Senate. And, but they're good uh, people. Yeah, I mean, we got we we got the ex party chair. We got two business guys. We got a state controller. We've got we've got some good people running. Um, so it'd be like some of them spread those out some other states too, right? Seriously. Uh, but, so we so that we that one I, I you know I think I think we're gonna get a good candidate and we do we're gonna win there. We should win there. We're still we're still I'm still bugging uh, Grassley and uh, Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson to make yeah. sure they announce they are running on top of just raising money. You know, actually right. announce you're running that would be helpful to me. Well, we uh, so. lobbied Grassley pretty hard. He was on the program a couple of months ago. We really gave him the business, and he wasn't going to commit. But I think he's heading that direction. I think he's. I think he's going to run. We just. I just did a fundraiser for him down in Naples, Florida, and uh, so if he he flies all the way from uh, Iowa down to Naples, right. Florida, I think he's probably going to run. Especially yeah. this time of year, right? He doesn't like to leave Iowa this time of year. <laughs> no, and and it was hot and humid in Naples then. So this and this that's you know you raise money in Naples, but you do it in the winter. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You don't come there in the summer. I mean, I thought, you know, he, we, we, we worked hard to make sure it was a good fundraiser. But I said, Chuck, you can make my life easier if you just come and like when people are here. <laughs> no, no kidding. And you mentioned Ron Johnson. Uh, yeah. He said what? He's going to make a decision at the end of the year at some point? I bother him every day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bother him every day. But, you know, he's, he's, he's raising money. He's out, he's out campaigning. He's around his state every weekend. 
so I think he's, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, he cares so much about the country. Uh, you know, he, you know, he, Ron, Ron's a great guy. He, you know, he gets down because it's, it, part of his job is frustrating because you, you know where you need to go and you don't, can't get there in a day. So, yeah. but I think he's going to run and he'll, he'll win. He, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, one of the reasons he's been able to win is he made sure at their state house level, which is like, I think called the board of assembly, uh, stuff like that. Uh, he made sure somebody was running in all those. He got the same number of Republican votes as all those Republicans individually. Mm. That's why I tell people as I travel the country, run. We got to get people in school board races and mayor's races, state rep races. We got to get, we got Republicans everywhere. Just run. And, and we'll eventually, we'll keep winning more. That's right. That's 100% right. And we've actually talked about this a little bit on the program. This is the first time I remember, at least, Republicans at an extreme local level being interested. Of course, the critical race theory issue and school boards and coronavirus with schools being out, it has just made everyone at an extreme local level intensely engaged for the first time that I remember in 20 years of doing this. Josh, I went to Turning Point USA last weekend and gave a speech. They had 4,000 people there. Wow. Okay. And one, I think one of the biggest issues is high school and college students was critical race theory and what these school boards are doing. Yeah. And what's happening at these universities? So I think we're going to get a lot of people running for these school boards, um, and and that's and if we do that, then then it's going to help us in our mayor's races and all these other races. Yeah, so, and that's a big. You get this because you did it as governor. That it's really important that folks party build from the ground yeah. up, right? That you, it's not just about whoever's at the top of the ticket. That ultimately the bench is just as important in terms of your ultimate turnout along the way. Well, they build the grassroots. Just like I work really hard to make sure we have a good working relationship with the NRCC and the RNC. Well, if, if Tom Emmerer and Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy do a good job at the NRCC, they're going to help get the vote out. It's going to help us win statewide races. That's right. That's true at the, that's, that's true at the state level. When I'm in my two governor's races, one, one thing that was frustrating is that we didn't have as many competitive state house and state senate races. So if you don't have a competitive race, you don't work your butt to get, you know, your butt off to get the vote out. And so, uh, and that's what, but the, uh, the NRCC has got, you know, they've got a lot of good candidates like we do. And I think they're going to work hard to get the vote out. And the RNC is working hard to do voter registration and get the vote out. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk issues with you in, in just a second, but one item just in the electoral nuts and bolts category, you've had an incredible amount of success throughout your career at engaging the Hispanic community, particularly in, in South Florida, um, where we've got, you know, in Florida now, Boy, it, it, Democratic stereotypes for what people ought to vote uh, just don't work. <laughs> no, 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 no. We Republicans are, I mean, Hispanics are Republicans if we talk to them. I mean, they care about faith. We do too. They care about jobs. We do. They care about the schools. They care about public safety, all the things we care about. So they're aspirational, just like Republicans. So we just have to talk to them because they really will they'll vote with us. I won the Hispanic vote in all my races, and we can win Hispanic votes all across the country. If you go to nrc.org slash poll, you'll see our Hispanic polls. Uh, we, put out, we put out national polls. We did the Hispanic poll. It shows you. It's not just Florida. It's, it's Texas. It's all over the country. We can win the Hispanic vote. Um, we just finished some uh, polling groups. Uh, some Hispanic poll um, uh, focus groups, yeah, focus groups. We just uh, did some Hispanic focus groups, and you, you know, if you listen to what they're saying, they're Republicans, right? Right. right. You just got to go talk to them. So show up. I mean, it's fascinating. We can get their vote. Yeah, 
No question about it. It's, it's, you've had an incredible amount of success in Florida. And, you know, if we, as we've seen in Texas and other states, it's clearly an attainable vote. And I, I have a feeling that we're on the way to majority status within the Hispanic community and, and sometime in the near future. Um, let's talk issues for a second. I know you mentioned a couple of things, a couple of reasons why Republicans are, are clearly on offense. What's your sense of like the two or three galvanizing issues that we're dealing with in the off year that you think ultimately are going to be really big? Uh, uh, game changers for us in 2022? Well, I, th- I think the border crisis, um, I just, I think it just, it shocks people. It just shocks people that Biden has just decided to have an open border. I think that one just shocks people. I think the, the keeping the schools closed and the critical, critical race theory is a big issue for people, uh, what, they're, what they're teaching. And I also, and then I think the third it's always about your livelihood. I think this inflation that's really gotten really bad under Biden and all this reckless government, Democrat spending, I think those, I, I always thought about, here's what I thought about as governor. Number one, help people get a job. Number two, make sure their kids get a good education. And number three, keep them safe. And I think those issues are gonna apply this time. De- defunding the police is not popular. Keeping schools closed, teaching critical race theory is not popular. Inflation, which impacts your livelihood, is not popular. So I think those issues are, are really, really going to make the difference. That's a really good way of thinking. And those three buckets are absolutely true. And you can throw in to the safety and security side all of the crime that we're seeing across the country in, in cities yeah. that used to be just sort of magnets for fun and entertainment are all of a sudden really pretty dangerous places. You saw just, I mean, just this week, it just went uh, Major League Baseball in, yeah. in uh, D.C., I mean, I mean, it's, the crime's gotten really bad. Terrible. I, mean, I think someone's telling me this morning, this, I think this year in D.C., 100 homicides. Oh. Tell me today. Man. I mean, it's just, it's, it sort of shocks the sense. It, it, it comes, sort of harkens back to that sort of early 90s type situation where crime was basically the only thing anybody talked about. And that, that coupled with, you know, what perhaps is like a Carter era level of inflation and economic concerns Boy, it seems to me like Democrats have a tough thing to sell here. Yeah, we just have, we have to have, we've just got a stale message, talk about the things that are important to people, you know, and, and that we, you know, run your race. Yeah. Like, I mean, say, don't take I know we can win. I, I, we are on the right side of all these issues. You know we can win. Yeah. We just got to get people to run good races. That's right. And talk about the issues. Don't take the bait. That's our mantra here on the program. Right. Just make, right. make sure you talk about what you want to talk about, not what the press wants you to talk about. I know. I was on a show the other day, and they said, that was a great pivot, but why don't we go back to what I wanted to talk about? <laughs> That's what, they, what, the, uh, what the guy that was interviewing me said. No, 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 no. I want to talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> McConnell used to tell me when I would stand uncomfortably next to him as he was getting reporter questions shouted at him, it gets a lot easier when you don't care what they think. <laughs> yeah. Well, your audience is all the voters. That's right. It's not what it's not you know. It's not what Rachel Maddow thinks. That's so, right. That's you know, right. She's not voting for me. You know that? Did you, do you think there's much of a chance that she's going to vote for me? I don't know. You might wear her down, Senator. You might. Uh, wear her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think she's she's going to vote with me. I love it. All right. So I want to get to I want to get to three big questions for you to get to know you a little bit. All of the minions tune in to these. So. The first one is, if you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? 
I wouldn't really care what I ate. I, you know, I've been, you know, Josh, I've been, I've been blessed. I've been, I got married at 19. I've been married all my life. And so the big thing for me is if I was with my wife and my family, who cares what I eat? I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't really care that much about it. You can tell I don't eat enough. So uh, <laughs> I must not care too much. I, if I had, if I wanted anything, it would be some good dark chocolate. Oh, okay. All right. Well, straight to dessert. You don't have to worry about your waistline on the last day. You know. That's right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So if you never got into this line of work, we know you were a successful businessman. We know um, that you've had an incredibly successful career before politics. But if you never got into any of this, what do you think you'd want to do for your life with your life? I didn't get into politics. I loved business. I loved, I loved, uh, I built, you know, I, I built a hospital company, I built a surgery center company, an urgent care company. I did some manufacturing companies. I love business. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then if I didn't do that, I might teach. Um, I have daughters. You know, they're older now, but I would teach high school basketball. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Now, I wasn't a great basketball player. I got out of high school, same height as my wife, 5'5". Five, five. So <laughs> there's not a lot of 5'5 five, five guys uh, doing great in basketball, but I what? love basketball. Ted Cruz told us that he wanted to be an NBA player. So I feel like if he, if he, if that's his dream, you can sure as heck coach basketball. <laughs> yeah. I think I could. Yeah. I was thinking about the NBA player part. <laughs> Hopefully coaching would be fun. I think you can get by. Absolutely. We would focus on winning by the way. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be your MO. <laughs> um, all right. Third and final question. And this is good. I actually, this might tell us a little more about you. What motivates Rick Scott more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? You know, I think, I think it's just trying to, it's, it's probably closer to worrying about, it's not agony of defeat so much, but worrying about, can I get where I want to go, right? It's just every, you know, some people, especially up here, I mean, what I've watched, I've been up here two and a half years, you know, you get sort of frustrated because, you know, things, you don't get where you want to go every day. Yeah. So there's two approaches. You can get down about it, right? Or you can say, okay, I'm going to try something different. I'm the guy that will try something different every day. <laughs> uh, I mean, I will, I will not, I'm like, I'm like Grant in Vicksburg, right? <laughs> I took my, one of my grandsons to see Vicksburg and you know, what he took nine times to take Vicksburg. That's I'll right. try everything uh, to, to get where I want to go. So that's probably closer to, I worry about, uh, worry about defeat, but I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really about defeating. I'm not worried about how do I get where I want to go. Yeah. It's sort of a, it's an interesting question because it's almost like a hatred of defeat, right? It's not like the, yeah, yeah. the agony. It's just like, I always picture it happen. Right. <laughs> I always pick, picture like Michael Jordan, right? It was every day like winning. He was over it in 10 seconds, but, it, but right. the thought that he could possibly lose is what drove him every single day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I got, I've just got this, I, you know, I, I have this, um, I got it. I got to get something done. You know, I had a, I had a wonderful mom. She, um, I didn't think that as a kid. Um, she, uh, I had a single mom for a while and, um, we lived in public housing. She said, you can be anything, but you're going to be an Eagle Scout. You're going to go to church all the time. You're going to make straight A's and you get out of the house and make some money. You better never get fired. I thought, <laughs> man, nobody has a mom like that. <laughs> I mean, that's a to-do list, right? That's exactly. And so I'm still a to-do person I have uh, a list all the time. I love it. Well, listen, I want to do this a couple more times. I love your perspective. You're right in the middle of all of this, obviously, and we're all counting on you and, and the, everybody in that building to uh, help deliver a Republican majority in 2022. Senator Rick Scott, thanks for your time today. Okay, it's fun. See ya. So it's a pretty good rundown. I like 
my favorite part about this, and we ought to do more of it. I, I talked to him about this, and, and I want to do it with uh, Tom Emmer at the NRCC too. Definitely. Get us in early. Show us the map. Walk us through how we get to the majority, what your thought process is. You know, they they Scott's taken a little bit different path than senatorial committee chairman before him in terms of primaries and whatnot. We're going to check back in on that. But honestly, I, I got a lot out of that. What I really liked, what I really liked, is how he's honed in on these three issues that he thinks are mobilizing voters, one being open borders, one being schools, critical race theory, and the other being the economy and inflation and everything else. Because I agree with that. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I, I agree on the Emmer thing as well. You know what I would love? I would love to have these folks back on or 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 other folks just give us some insight on who are the candidates that we can help the most that need our help now. Like who are the frontline people, especially in the house where you've got so many races that are going to be so close, you know, I mean, having people on who can say, all right, here are the 10 people that listeners to the variety program should take a look at. That's exactly right. You know what I mean? We want a map because I, 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 I've seen a lot of folks reach out to us and be like, all right, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Well, I mean, I hope we can have some folks back on to, you know, help direct some of this to to some. Because here's the thing: as the digital guy again, and <laughs> early money helps it the does. most, yep. the most. It you does, know? and you know what? Uh, hopefully, one of the things we're doing on the program is providing you a whole bunch of different voices for you to make those decisions for yourself. Because you know, there's a lot of primaries out there, a lot of open seats. There are some candidates that are going to strike your fancy, others that aren't. But I think we're probably going to try to have as many on as you as you want. And um, and you can make the decision, you know, but get involved because this is happening in real time. Right. Um, one thing I dropped the ball on, fellas. I really dropped the ball. Oh, I'm, no. I've been kicking myself. Like, absolutely. The second I ended this interview, I was like, I, 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 I like to think I don't make a ton of mistakes with these interviews, but I made one. I made one. The bowl. I feel like. The, oh, oh does, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Ruthless Variety Program wants a bowl. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I saw they gave one to the to the former president, a very nicely uh, portrayed, nice picture. It was a beautiful looking bowl. I mean, we absolutely deserve one. I, I've seen, I've seen, I think like Matt Schlapp got a bowl at CPAC. We deserve a bowl. I want a bowl. 100%. And I, I can't believe I missed that. I'm going to, if no other, we're going to have him back on so I can ask him about the bowl. Well, <laughs> I think I know how we can make up for it a little bit. For our listeners, I say we do three episodes this week. Yes, Sound let's good? do it. Yeah, we, we've got so many interviews. We've got lots of games, tons of candy. We're going to have just a three-episode week. So, until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Wednesday. Stay ruthless.